welcome to this EU influencer debate. Uh, we have uh, Berlin Monster, who has revealed himself to be Duncan Lumsden. And so this actually happened this year. So maybe before we talk about some of the burning topics, I just want to ask you, um, why did you choose to reveal your secret identity this year? Uh, and, and what is Berlin Monster all about? Uh, the the reason I kind of uh, dropped the veil of anonymity this year was well, basically because I had a proper job before. I had a proper serious job, um, which I left at the end of 2019 and was, continued to be involved in it for an extra year. Um, and it was just, it wouldn't have been uh, a seemly association for my, my serious side with, with the frivolous side. Um, also, I mean, I, I go back long enough that people did know who I was at the beginning. I, it wasn't a secret when we first started and there was a small group of us who started it. Um, and it wasn't a secret then. So a lot of my my friends in the in the in the press room did know that it was me because I wasn't I wasn't secret about it, including some of the spokespeople as well. They knew at the time as well. But then as the as the the serious job got more serious, I thought, OK, time to kind of shut it down. And luckily in Brussels, there's enough of a turnover of generations of people every few years that after only kind of 18 months to, to a couple of years, um, there was only kind of a, a rare, ever more rarefied group of people who, who knew the association and they were kind enough to keep it that way. They were kind enough to keep it secret. And, and I thank them for the kind of 10, 10 12 years of, of, uh, of secrecy they afforded me, which, which allowed me to um, to, to, to fire at all, I suppose, to, to be able to say things about fellow journalists, to be say, saying things about press people, about, you know, the, the anonymity did allow that um, while yeah, not having to compromise on my on my professional life. And so you said you were doing a more serious job. Now you're doing a more frivolous job. So, so what are you doing now? Uh, I am what would one what would one would uh, euphemistically call between jobs. Um, right. Having having left my my serious job, I'm I'm now kind of looking for another one. Um, I did uh, I did take a year out, uh, and that coincided with COVID. So it was an enforced year out in any case, and I'm I'm now kind of um, starting to to feel my way into the professional sphere again. Fantastic. But in the meantime, having fun with this. I mean, and it, I suppose another reason for kind of breaking the anonymity was to be able to. To make the most of the fact that it does have a certain following, the Berlin Monster does have a certain following. I relaunched the website. I got a couple of couple more contributors to to help write some of the silly stuff, um, and yeah, a certain amount of it was, to be frank, about profile and and my own personal profile. Having had a bit of a backroom job in my in my serious job, um, I think uh, over the twenty two years I was in Brussels, I think people started forgetting who I was. So now people know the Berlin Monster know know the Berlin Monster more than they know me. So I may as well, uh, having broken the anonymity, make uh, make make most of it. Right. So, so one of the big topics that we want to talk about is censorship, and obviously during the pandemic, but before this was always a burning topic. And I think uh, you know recently we've seen the fact that first of all Trump was banned from Twitter, and we've had this discussion saying how can Trump be banned whilst the Taliban's are allowed. To tweet, uh, and of course, this Twitter focus is, is particularly relevant to this audience. But of course, this applies to social media, where Facebook decided to ban some of these accounts. So, my first question, and you know, as a, a comedy account, obviously, you need to express yourself, you need to say whatever you want. So, number one, do you think there, that, that some of these accounts should be banned, and who do you think should decide? 
Uh, well, that, that kind of gets gets the nub of it. I should I should share first of all my experience of having been banned from Twitter on one occasion. Right. Um, uh, it was I think it was only for a few hours. I was locked out. Um, but it was because I had um, made light of a, I think it was a, a joke tweet about Aaron Banks. There was a period, I think there was a moment in November 2019 when uh, some alleged private messages of his from Twitter got leaked. And a certain amount, there was a screen grab of some of the conversations he was having behind the scenes by his DMs, got into the public public domain and some journalists were picking it up and writing about it. So I did a spoof one. I think it was about um, about uh, a shady deal involving a hold all of citizens' data left in a left in a, a, a numbered uh, a, a numbered locker in Waterloo Station or something. Really, kind of obviously parody. And I don't know what happened, but it was immediate. The account got taken offline. I was banned or, or cancelled or whatever you want to call it for 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 a few hours while while the dust settled. So it was interesting to be on on that end of what was effectively a corporate decision. I wasn't censored and I, I do draw a distinction between censorship and you know, a decision of editing or, or, or banning or cancelling, whatever you want to call it for on the corporate side. Um, and it did feel untransparent. I, to this day, I don't know what happened, whether that whether Banks' lawyers just forced an algorithm upon upon Twitter and they just took down anything that looked like it was reproducing you know, the, the DMs. I don't know that that's what it smelt like at the time. Um, so yes, the the lack of transparency on the corporate side is a concern, but it came out in the wash okay in the end for me at least. I know there are plenty of others who who have had a very different experience. Um, and again, the kind of the 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 banning of Trump off Twitter, it was a corporate decision. Mm-hmm. It was taken for. I mean, they they made public what their on the face of it what their reasons were. Know that he had breached the guidelines, but I mean, the the tweets in question were fairly anodyne compared with some of the stuff he'd said in the past in terms of in, inciting violence or, or the, the other reasons they gave. And it was done at a time when he was no longer of use to them. They needed him on Twitter while he was president because he was president, because he was popular and all these kind of things. The moment he was yesterday's man, they didn't have any compunction with switching him off. Um, so there's a little bit of concern about consistency and transparency in the actions of um, I mean, it's not a dominant platform, is it? But it, it, but it is an important platform. It's not an essential facility either. Although I think we're we're starting to get in regulation a kind of, particularly the EU side, a kind of roundabout definition of essential facility for for certain platforms. So you you get your own regulation because we can't do without you. But you're not dominant, therefore you don't fall under the competition rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, another discussion again. But. Uh, I, I just feel as though yes, it was it was untransparent and inconsistent. But in terms of who should be taking that decision, I'm more comfortable with a with a company that has reputational damage at heart. It has um, potential litigation damage at heart. You know, the potential just fear of regulation. I mean, this discussion is happening not only between between um, us uh, on this platform, but also at the European Parliament level, European Commission level, White House level. And with that threat of, of regulation or you know, censorship or whatever looming over the platforms, they then rightly take their own decisions to get ahead of the regulators and ahead of any potential litigation, ahead of any potential reputational damage. And as long as you know the the winds blow that way, I'm, I'm not uncomfortable with the decision on 
banning, not on censorship, but on banning being in the hands of the platforms themselves. And you just need a certain amount of that pressure surrounding them, be it these kind of discussions going on amongst people significantly more important than us, or actual threat of litigation, actual threat of reputational harm, harm to share prices, which is you know, the most the most keen threat that, that, a, that a company like that can face. As long as those threats are looming and guide a corporate decision making process, then I'm more comfortable with that happening than with the European Commission, for example, writing a list of here are the people who are allowed to tweet or not. It's not the same as freezing accounts of, of friends of Putin, which is you know, possibly analogous, although possibly a stretch. Um, that is where you do get individual names mentioned and their freedoms are limited as an act of the EU specifically. I think transferring that to the right to tweet or not would be would be a stretch. I feel that you know Trump's censorship well, or ban uh, has had quite an impact on his political voice, and that you know you, you suddenly feel, of course, it came at the same time as his as his uh, you know the end of his presidency. But um, it did remove him from the news cycle, uh, I think, you know, because he really used to use this very effectively. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's, you're right to say it's a, it's a kind of corporate ban, but it does feel and look a lot like, like a form of censorship where you're saying we're deciding who gets to speak and not. And I just want to get you to comment on what do you feel about, you know, because the pretext was incitement to violence. Now, mm. I think it's hard to say that the Taliban haven't done some of that and aren't using their channels to do that. So do you think it makes sense to allow them to communicate, but to ban Trump? I'm just saying, you know, what about the, the what's your feeling between the two? I mean, if you're asking, should I be the arbiter? Me personally, should I be what's the arbiter? What's your opinion? What's your opinion? I'd quite happily say you're allowed to tweet and you aren't allowed yeah. to tweet. So but which the, one, are you going to let Trump tweet or the Taliban? What's your, what's your decision today? I think the decision would be to allow Trump to tweet, but but to mitigate the amplification. And that's what they've been doing since. In the last year or year and a half, you've, what you've seen is, um, you saw it already during the during the, the tail end of Trump, where you got the little warning messages under his tweets. Mm-hmm. And I think Twitter itself, as we're talking about Twitter, and that's the, the platform I know best, um, they are starting to, to see, okay, well, there's a little rider we can put on things. It starts to mitigate the amplification. Um, are you sure you don't want to read the article first is the warning you now get every time you you, you retweet or quote tweet uh, something which is a link to an article. Um, and then since the, you know, the the tail end of the Trump era, um, you're starting to get these little warning messages which mitigate the amplification. Um, the other thing to do is to is to mitigate the amplification is is to prevent the uh, somehow prevent the trolls or to to the troll farms, the, the the retweeting machines, all the kind of Clive 2513045s with all the flags in the name, all of those kind of accounts. The, the, I don't know how you do that, mm-hmm. but I think the amplification is as much a problem as the initial, the initial blurt. And you can allow people the right to blurt on Twitter, yeah. like Trump, but if you then mitigate the the ability for that, you know, for that idea to go three times around the world while the truth is getting on its trousers, Mm-hmm. Then, then you're you're fighting half the battle. And and any and the Taliban should they be allowed to speak, or should they be banned for incitement to violence? I mean, in, you know. Well, if if they if they in, incite violence on Twitter, I'd hope that Twitter would be would be consistent with their own guidelines, which they they haven't been. Um, and as long as you know people like us have this conversation, and as I said before, people more significantly more important than us have these kind of conversations, then then Twitter will feel ever more 
obliged to do so without there actually being a, a rule laid upon them. You must do this, you must do that. Um, that's placing an awful lot of trust in them, but it is evolving, it is changing. Uh, the companies like Twitter are seeing perhaps it is just reputational harm of allowing these kind of things to to fester on their on their on their websites. It could be that they, there is actually a kind of a corporate risk calculation, not just on the reputational side, but maybe litigation, maybe the fear of regulation itself. That means they're starting to to act what we would say is more responsibly. Right now, jumping to COVID and vaccine information, obviously, you know, that's very much related to fake news or to disinformation. So uh, the, my question to you is, do you think that Twitter and social media in general, but, but Twitter in particular, has contributed to the spread of disinformation on vaccine uh, vaccination or has it actually helped or has it done a bit of both? What's been it, your experience? It's probably done a bit of both. I mean, I think it's also um, a lot of the world is not on Twitter. You have to bear, we have to bear that in mind in our in our kind of um, speaking to ourselves bubble, be it in the, the Euro bubble sphere or you know, Twitter sphere or, or, or the broader Twitter sphere. Um, there's a danger of us talking to ourselves and, and believing that we're the most important things. And this is the, the global conversation. It isn't. It's the conversation that happens on Twitter. The kind of people who go on Twitter and choose to say things, myself included, are not necessarily the, you know, the people who, who we're talking about here. And if we're talking about you know, aunts and uncles and, and mums and pops who, who possibly Facebook is more, more the issue there because everyone's got an account or more people have got an account. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I just think Twitter is probably not the the problem. Facebook possibly, because we know that in history, it's not just kind of COVID, you know, Brexit and other issues. It's been a certain a certain um, amplifier mm. of, of fake news, which which is quite powerful over Facebook. Um, but I mean, the the approach of the of of politicians writ large be it, was probably a bigger contributor. The confusion over whether AstraZeneca is safe or not would have been a significantly more powerful um, way of putting people off something than, you know, the odd fake news bit on, on, on a dodgy URL on Facebook or Twitter. I think that was the, the mistake. And then it's not about online cons. It's about policy making and, and, and the decision by a Macron or by a Merkel or by others to say, well, maybe we, it's not for over 50s. Maybe it's not for under 50s. Maybe it's not for women. Maybe it's, maybe it is for women. Um, that was, the, I think, the, the, the bigger factor. And then it's got nothing to do with with uh, with online comms or, or, or social media. Yeah, in my view, you know, Twitter is the real amplifier channel, which means it goes to people who often themselves either have a pretty powerful impact on a specific sphere, and it can be very niche, as in the EU, uh, or it can be kind of they're a dedicated audience that's very interested in what they say as a journalist, as a celebrity, as a politician. Uh, and and I, I'm using Twitter as an example, but I, I, I'm including social media as well. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the conversation, uh, you know, the, the, the discussion you referred to with vaccines and the confusion around, you know, what's safe, what's not safe, uh, is something that A, gets amplified and B, gets jumped on by hesitance, anti-vax or, or malicious actors who say, look, I mean, you, you, you've, you've read about the campaign that was deliberately trying to pitch um, Pfizer 
as having problems and, and hiding certain things that they try to pitch at influencers. So uh, it, it's clear that I think it can have an impact, um, you know, and influence maybe other people who will then spread the information in, in, in different places. Uh, do you think that there's anything that individuals like you, and, and you know, you have your followers and they will be influenced consciously or unconsciously by what you, you tweet and humor can have a huge impact on, on people's perception. Um, so do you think that there's something that you, as an influencer, let's, you know, with, with, with all the, <laughs> the, 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 the concept it, it entails, uh, do you, do you think there's anything you need to do? And do you think institutions need to do something about this? I think institutions did do something about it. I think the, across the, the spectrum, political institutions were doing the responsible thing of, of, of sending out the right message. Uh, whether there's an onus upon people with a large following to to do the right thing and say the right thing feasibly, I think that the main thing to do is not to is not to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that I feel fairly keenly. I mean, there's a you know a fairly good um, uh, message for life, which is you know, just don't be a dick. <laughs> if I could have a have a printed tea towel of that, that would that would, that would hang that up on the wall. Um, and that you know th that responsibility becomes the more all the more followers you have. Whether there is an an onus on on people like me and, and plenty of others who are significantly more influential on your on your annual lists, I, I struggle with that a little bit because if if there's an onus on, for example, me, him, whatever it is, to um, to amplify positive messages about things that I believe to be right. Where do you where do I do, draw the line? I, I get copied in now to an awful lot of or CC'd into an awful lot of tweets about uh, the, the situation in Catalonia. I'm on some list somewhere. And so you get the, these kind of campaigning things that go out copying in Ryan Heath and me and a load of people. I think it's possibly your your, your, your list. They just cut and paste it and go, here are the influences we want. We want this pro-Catalan uh, independence message to be out there. And the, the you know, the merits of that aside, if every good fight has to be fought by every good person uh yeah there will no longer be any room for for you know silly limericks about about, about unknown commissioners which is what you know what the account is for um, not not solely but it's a it's an example of the of 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 what what is supposed to be happening over the bird monster feed so i'm i'm kind of I would have I would shy away from feeling responsibility that I must be saying the right things to the right people in order that they do the right things. This is not a preachy. Um, it's not a moment for preaching to anybody. I think I'm sure there's been occasions where I've retweeted things that I hard agree with, but it wouldn't necessarily be on things like vaccines. It'd probably be more likely to be on on matters of EU policy or matters of Brexit or things like that. Um, because otherwise you end up in tying yourselves in not, not so, but kind of the you know, the issue of the day being, you know, today as we are speaking, it's it's Afghanistan and flying people out of Af Afghanistan. Of course, there are an awful lot of right messages to be said out of that. But if people like me and any number of others on your list have to amplify every right message, uh, I mean, Twitter's going to be even more of a bin fodder, I'm afraid. Sure. Uh, Leah, I wanted to jump in. Yes, thank you. I, I just on this token um, in the States, in the White House is working with TikTok personalities and micro influencers to promote vaccination specifically to the youth. So you don't think that that is something that should happen here as well? 
Oh, I think it can happen. I, I just, I, I'd be very worried if it was the EU institutions doing that because they, because they, they tend to be a, a bit. I call the term dad dancing. Um, when it comes to kind of engaging in social media, they'd probably find themselves on on ICQ or you know, MSN chat rooms trying to amplify their message rather than on TikTok or or anything else. So I'd be concerned if it was the EU institutions trying to trying to do that. And, and I'm, I'm certainly sure that um, plenty of national governments have, have been doing much smarter engagement at their level. And also, I think that that's probably the right level for it to have been done at national level in any case. Yeah. Uh, in any EU campaign promoting, I think, anything beyond their own work is can be a little bit cringy and therefore doesn't work or can be counterproductive. Right. So to, to finish off, just, uh, you know, the, the, the big topic uh, has also been climate change, obviously, with reports showing that things are getting worse before they'll get better. Uh, every company has been tweeting about sustainability, uh, green things. The Commission has that green deal. Do you think that tweeting about it matters? It matters to the companies and organisations that do it. They, they, they want to be seen to be to be saying and doing the right thing. Um, now, the, one of the advantages of of Twitter, particularly our Twitter, the the um, EU Eurosphere Euro, Euro Twitter sphere, is that there you are not sure for people to keep you honest, particularly in this regard. There's, there are plenty of extremely good, extremely uh, popular um, individuals and accounts that uh, that will hold you to account if you're or your company or organisation um, saying having nothing to say but saying it anyway uh, or if you're trying to trying to greenwash or if you're just trying to you know get a you know get a sustainability hashtag in it in there in order to be seen to be doing the right doing and saying the right thing so i think that uh, that the greenwashing to an extent comes out in the wash in the eu policy social media scene because of that because you have these accounts that, that hold um hold uh, corporations and, and lobbyists to account so I'm not too concerned about that. And my concern over the years, many years, a couple of decades has been with buzzwords. And Brussels is a is a city that that can generate them at a rate of knots. Um, and then it's almost like you give something a name and then all of a sudden it means something because it has a name. Um, and there's a there is a risk that sustainability itself can can tumble down that route. But every now and then, you know, and it's up to these corporate accounts when they are held to accounts up to these these corporations and lobbyists and so on and so forth to to prove that it isn't just a buzzword it isn't just a fig leaf sustainability for example can mean anything everything nothing and all the and all the, the bits in between it can be a fig leaf but it can also be we've changed our paper provider we've 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 introduced a cycle to work scheme we're subsidising bike purchases for our for our staff. When it comes down to nuts and bolts, I mean that's just a general rule of comms. Talk about nuts and bolts, and 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 don't just bandy around the policy terms. So I think it, in that sense, particularly in this conversation about use of social media, um, it becomes a generic point about comms. Good comms is specific. Bad comms is generic. And if you're just saying, you know, we we we, are, we remain fully committed to the UNDP goals and and the Paris aims, then you know if there's nothing behind that, you'll be quickly found out, and and you won't get any influence. You know, just tweeting that out, you won't get any retweets. 
Or if you do, there'll be rather unfortunate quote tweets with somebody taking the mic. Possibly me, possibly any number of others. So, so I, th- I, I think I think it's pretty it's pretty good at self-regulating. And if you are saying nothing, somebody will hold you to account for saying nothing. So so they've been warned. Your your, your tweets are coming. But I think <laughs> your point about you know Twitter holding people to account is is quite interesting. I, I agree with you. I think in in Brussels you have experts who actually really drill down into what people say and hold them to account. Uh, and um, I think an excellent, very tweetable quote that good communication is specific and bad communication is generic. So. Uh, and, and by the way, that's one thing that we're going to obviously ask since a lot of this conversation will happen asynchronously. That means that people can tweet and that we hope to have a really exciting discussion on Twitter uh, whilst this is being uh, shared live. Uh, by the way, can I ask you to do one thing? Because uh, if you can bring uh, Belly Monster close to the screen, because I think our you know our viewers really want to see uh, the, the, the Belly Monster in the flesh. Unta- untangle myself, hold on. No problem at all, but uh, that, that'll give us a nice uh, shot. Wow, you have the the amazing studio setup. So, um, but yeah, no, I think it'd be great. You can you can wave them around, and we'll, we can we can add this. We can clip that back into our uh, wonderful edits. So this is the. Is it actually? Can you can you put? Oh, you can put your hand in it. Oh, wow! So it's an actual puppet. I feel we should redo this whilst you kind of just have the um, the belly monster speaking. I think that that, that would be the. So I, I couldn't hear anything you were saying just then. But oh, sorry. I was just saying. I think you I'm not going to do, do the, the interview with ventriloquist thing. I haven't used this guy for a long time. I, I, I bought him <laughs> about ten years ago, and the idea was to do a lot of YouTube videos, but I turned out to be shit at them. So <laughs> yeah, I deleted them all. I took them all offline. And I think um, there's a future for Belly Monster, the the the, the puppet. So you you can you can sign off as Belly Monster with uh, with your, your your puppet if you can do that. <laughs> So I didn't realize how unwieldy he was when I bought him. Extremely heavy head. <laughs> this is all staying in, by the way. This is the blooper reel for you. Yeah, but this is good. Uh, you're, you're, we'll, we'll use some clip. I'm sure that Philip and Katinka are thinking this has a lot of possibilities. The, 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 the this, is cool. This, this, this is the struggle with satire. <laughs> <laughs> it's the behind the scenes, but that's what makes it good. So. Great I, can't, I can't even remember what voice he used to have. I think I think it was a kind of uh, uh, almost like a you know, Flemish Flemish growl. But Excellent. Maybe so we long. need to do like a, you know a competition for getting choosing the voice of the uh, belly monster. But um, anyway, thank you very much for for spending time with us and for introducing us to the real belly monster behind the belly monster. Mm-hmm.